All right. Well, welcome to the Robo Show. I'm uh, Chad Robo Show, and I'm here today with uh, two guests that are. Um, we've been trying to get them on forever, and uh, super excited to have them on and talk about uh, their military history, their books, particularly uh, their new book, and uh, and then just writing in general. I think writing is uh, something that a lot of people are interested in, in the process of it, and uh, particularly. Uh, I think veterans want to, you know, they want to share their story. There's so many lessons that can be learned from these two guys. So, uh, uh, Brian Andrews and, uh, and, and Jeffrey Wilson, uh, both U.S. Navy veterans. I'll let them talk a little bit more about their military uh, careers. Uh, but they together uh, combined, they've did 21 books. Uh, I think if I got that right, and, uh, and 15 of them together. So they're definitely a team. They just did this uh, new book called Dark Intercept uh, with Tyndale. Uh, Tyndale's, you know, an incredible publisher. They put out some amazing books. Um, you know, the, both these guys are Wall Street Journal uh, bestselling authors. And uh, I, I actually, usually I like to read a book all the way through before I do a, a, an interview on it. But I haven't, I confess, I haven't read it all the way through because my life's been so crazy. But I'm like, I'm like itching to, you know, itching to, to turning the, it's a page turner. I'm super excited about it and, uh, and finishing it. It's just a really good book. And uh, so how are you guys doing today? Doing great, Chad. Good to see you again, man. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. So if you can, uh, just you know, tell the listeners a little bit about yourselves uh, and uh, you know your military career and what got you into writing. Sure. So uh, I guess I'll, I'll start it off. Brian and I have known each other for a, a good while now. It seems like just a couple of years, but we've been doing this together for six years now. Um, but we did not meet in the military, so our our paths didn't really cross until we were already both writing individually. For So I'll tell you my story. Uh, it's as schizo My military career is as schizophrenic as the rest of my personal history. Um, you know, I started out in the Navy going uh, to be a fighter pilot. It was uh, mid to late 80s, and I was going to go fly fighters like my dad had done. Um, got into the training pipeline, was in a motorcycle accident, and uh, got out again. Um, they had the opportunity to stay, but they weren't going to let me fly jets. And I was, a, you know, ready to fly jets. So I went and flew civilian airplanes for a little while and um, didn't find that very satisfying. So I wound up in another area of the federal government doing some other work, um, trying to find purpose. And uh, it was a violent life, as I know you can relate to. And so um, eventually, when it wasn't quite like I thought it was going to be from all the movies and TV shows, I decided to pursue a career in medicine, find a life of peace. So I went to medical school, joined the Naval Reserves, and uh, during that time was planning on just being an academic doctor and was going to write papers and cure diseases and do all kinds of cool stuff uh, while still serving as a reservist. And then while I was finishing up my training, a bunch of uh, insane people crashed those planes into the towers in the Pentagon and uh, the field in Pennsylvania, and it changed the entire trajectory of my life like it did for, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of us. So um, I went back into the Navy. I transitioned back to active duty and uh, did an deployment with the Marines. Gotta love the Marines and uh, was a Frist team surgeon with them. And when I was downrange, I ran into some folks from my weird spooky past and they introduced me to some other weird people. And uh, I wound up being a combat surgeon and developing a uh, austere environment platform for a East Coast based SEAL team and did the rest of my career deployments with them. So all over the place militarily. And then uh, after the Navy, I stayed with a joint task force for a, a period of time. And now I write books full time. So 
That's me. That's my story. <laughs> we we'll sh shift it over to you now. Yeah. So I, I guess similar to Jeff, you know, you make these plans in your life. <laughs> you think you know where you're going to go, right? And then stuff always intervenes and sends you on a different direction. But I mean, that's sort of the fun stuff. So I was uh, an ROTC guy at Vanderbilt and I was a psychology major. I was very interested in the brain and how people think and why we think the way that we do. And I always sort of planned that I would go into naval intelligence and that's what I wanted to do. And then some policy changes happened and certain doors closed. And lo and behold, I was like, I guess I got to figure something else out to do. So I did a big pivot and uh, was one of the only psychology dudes who, who maybe audaciously or sort of misguidedly, I don't know, applied for the submarine community. But, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I went up there with all the engineers and other science nerds and uh, somehow made it through the uh, screening process and, and uh, was a submarine officer on a fast attack submarine in the Pacific for a tour, did some really, really, really cool stuff. Not as cool as or as dangerous as what you guys uh, used to do, but um, still uh, pretty fascinating to be on this giant machine that's sort of almost like the USS Enterprise, like underwater. And then uh, after that, I went to business school and, and sort of pursued a, a leadership path and, and, and got my MBA and went into business. But always in the background, there was this desire to storytell. I love telling stories. I love talking to people, exploring new ideas. And, and that writing bug just sort of sort of germinated and eventually uh, took off. And, and I met Jeff at a, a Thriller Writers Conference, you know, two Navy guys. We sort of found each other in the crowd and uh, it became fast friends and started collaborating after that. So here I am. Yeah, I gotta say, I've I've always been just fascinated with people that, uh, who spend their you know time deployment in a submarine. We have a guy on our staff, Luis Rivera, who's a SEAL. And before he was a SEAL, uh, he, and he retired as a SEAL, before he was a SEAL, he was in submarines. And you know, to be underneath the water in the isolated environment for months at a time, it's just, you know, how, what's the longest you spent underwater? So, you know, the normal fast attack sort of deployment schedule is you do these two, typically two missions back to back. So it's a six month deployment, but usually there's two back to back. And so those are like, you know, 75 to 80 days. Um, but we had a really successful mission. I can't talk about it, but it was, we were doing some really, really cool stuff. So they kept extending us, kept extending Sun Station. So we ended up being on station for like 102 days. So that was my record, uh, you know, continuously submerged 102 days. Do people start getting stir crazy or is the environment? <laughs> yeah, and they get grumpy because you eat away all the, you eat down all the good food, right? So there's nothing left to eat. And you know, that, that food uh, and the, well, the coffees, they say a supply officer can get fired for two things. One is uh, being corrupt and two is uh, not buying enough coffee. <laughs> so if you run out of coffee, you're fired. But also, you know, just because there's only so much room on the submarine to store food, the, the freezer is actually pretty small. So we would store, you know, if you're in a, a mission that goes up north where the engine room's getting cold because the surrounding water temperature is really cold, you can store food in the outboard, actually, because it's, okay. cool. it's cold yeah. enough. But once the eggs are gone and, and you know, all the vegetables and meat and everything's gone, it, it gets pretty rough. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine what the smell was like after 102 <laughs> oh. days. When you cracked that hatch, you could probably almost see the cloud come out. 
come out of that boat. Oh my God. Good thing they aren't I marine. have a story about that. <laughs> uh, is there anything on the ship that like helps people could go like you so you're compared to this, the starship enterprise and space right yeah. you see a lot of these movies now in space they'll go in these rooms that have like can make them look like they're outside and they're like you know watching horses run in a pasture or somebody had to help them mentally <laughs> oh, yeah. no no way we're up like that is your rack and it's really small they, yeah the maybe close a little curtain that. and that's it that's your virtual reality right there <laughs> what, what about what about like outside communications with the you know yeah, no, that's the weird thing. I think probably, you know, when I was in, it was a while ago. So they, I think they probably have more regular comms and stuff. But with a submarine, at least the fast attack platform, it's a stealth platform. So you are not transmitting. I mean, you, you can receive information, but you are not transmitting because that will give away your position. So, you know, you sort of sign this. Um, I remember <laughs> very distinctly when you when you come on board, they give you this form. And the gist of it is basically, do I want to be informed if something very bad happens to a family member or not. So like, let's say your, your wife and kids get in a car accident and they're in the hospital. Do you wanna know that? Knowing that maybe for the next two months, you can't do anything about it? You're not or is <laughs> ignorance bliss? So Chad, what would you pick? Would you pick, tell me or don't tell me? Yeah, I, th I think uh, if I was gonna opt to go in that situation, I think ignor ignorance is bliss. Jeff, what would you pick? Uh, that's a that's a hard one. I think that if you really knew that there was no work in the system and getting off station, I think it'd be easier to not know. It's not gonna I, come. I up. picked it's ignorance is bliss. Yeah, and you know it's not gonna come up because of you. And there's nothing you could do if you can't communicate out. You can't be in a video help. Yeah, no. I, I think just making the right decisions and putting the right protocols in place in advance. That's so what that's you do, and you have. You know, all of us, you know, know what it means to have a powerful, strong spouse, you know, someone in your life who you can trust completely and leave that when you're gone, that person's in charge and you trust them. And that's an important part of a military service. If you're married, is that you have a spouse that you can count on and, you know, can handle that stress. Yeah, I wasn't in the same situation as that. But uh, when I was in Afghanistan, you know, because of the way I was deployed you know, i work with local national i'm out in the mountains by myself for days i didn't have i had a you know iridium satellite phone that i can make a phone call if i needed to emergency but i was not in constant communication with my spouse and and my wife you know kathy was just she kind of knew in advance like only notify for you know super emergency like if the washer broke i wasn't going to hear about it right yeah i didn't have to hear about those things uh, because i couldn't do anything about it i couldn't just get home and uh that was one of the things that's always on my mind what if my he gets hit by a car or something like that, something like that. Like it's, I can't be there the next day, but it's going to take me days to get home. So that's something that, you know, we talked about and dealt with on a different scale as being trapped in a submarine for hundred years. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's the <laughs> one. I will say there's, there's actually good and bad to both though. You know, we were, you know, I was with uh, the unit that I was with was, um, you know, on the JSOC side. So we had pretty robust communications. It was very strange, you know, Wendy could actually call me and it would be a local Virginia number. And so the downside of that is you talk every day, sometimes twice a day for like two or three weeks, and then you're out of pocket for a few days. Yeah, They go insane. Like in some ways it's <laughs> way better, way better if she just doesn't expect any communication and it's icing on the cake on the rare call, but they would, she would get into this routine of, oh yeah, you know, well, you should have called by now. It's 15 minutes late, you know, and, and she would go drive herself crazy. So there's a downside to both. That's for sure. My wife, um, she liked, she, she wrote these letters 
And she would write, my first deployment, she wrote one almost every day. And, um, you know, she just did it to have, she wanted me to have something that I could open, you know, like when I'd be, you know, the next, when we, when the mail would come in, she'd know that, okay, I could open these up. She'd know I would, I would know she was thinking of me. So when the mail came <laughs> on the first deployment and then they're, they're bringing out the mail, they're like, here's, here's a letter for Brian. And people are like, oh, you got one, you know, and more and then more and more. <laughs> the letters started piling up. Eventually everyone's like, man, you I don't like you very much. <laughs> like, it's just terrible. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, let's let's. I can I can talk about that all day. Let's shift shift to the book. Tell it. Uh, talk with uh, what dark concepts, uh, or dark dark intercepts about. Uh, why'd you guys write it? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's different about this book from the books you guys have previously written? I think is what I really. Yeah, for sure. So this is something that we actually had in the works in our minds at least, and whatever for what that's worth. For the last several years, um, we had been toying around with this idea. You know, the question was, how could you know, the first question for us was, how can we take what we've done so successfully in the thriller market with, you know, writing books that are designed to be gritty and realistic and have guys who've been operators like you read it and say, yeah, that's that's how it would happen. Right. How can we take that and combine it with our faith and the issues that we uh, have struggled with and that we work with men in? such as crisis and faith and what that looks like. And then it even broadened into the idea of, you know, spiritual warfare. Would it be possible to combine those, but to do it in an entertaining way? And so what we came up with was this concept. And the idea of this series is, um, I guess the question is, if there's these horrible evil things that happen and you believe that there's an evil beyond just the dark side of man, that there are evil forces in the world that drive things, would if if that's true if hitler and osama bin laden and and mao there was something more evil and insidious than just their human nature would there not be a faith-based element that would stand up to combat that almost a special operations type uh unit that would combat the evil in the world uh in real time and so that was what we came up with as a concept that excited us um, and initially it was going to be just that. And then we sort of ended up blending in some of the spiritual warfare elements as well. But we were super excited about it. But unfortunately, at the time that we developed it, or fortunately for us, I guess, um, in our career, we already had these other books. We'd already sold Sons of Valor, the spinoff series to tier one. Then we got this deal with Putnam to do the Webb Griffin series, uh, presidential agent on behalf of the estate. And so we just had this sitting in a drawer figuring, you know, one day. And it was one of those kind of God moments where we get this phone call from a buddy of ours, Josh Hood, who's also got a very strong faith, also a thriller writer and veteran. And he says, hey guys, you know, I was on this airplane. I met this girl and she's looking for some Christian thing for thriller Tyndale house or something. I don't know. And I, can I connect you? And I was like, yeah, we know Josh a long time. We're like, you know, we're never getting a phone call from this person. But literally three days later, we're sitting with uh, Jan Stobe and uh, Karen um, Watson, our editor, and they really wanted to start to grow action adventure, realistic thriller type stuff in the faith market. And next thing we know, we had a book deal and one more series to write. So yeah, it's great. I mean, I'm, I can tell you that, you know, I love these I love action adventure books, but then I'm always trying to invest in, you know, I only have so much bandwidth to read so many things. And I'm always trying to invest in my spiritual growth and uh, some tie those two together is like a, a win-win for me. Uh, I just, uh, I've stopped reading a lot of the kind of action adventure stuff I used to like to read. I, 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 I confess, I like love uh, Dan Brown's uh, 
books. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, all those, all those, all those books, and uh, but I haven't read a lot of that kind of stuff anymore because I've been just investing in my spiritual growth, and so this is a, a good solution for me. Well, that was sort of the ministerial side of it, right? I mean, this is this is fiction. It's fun. It's meant to be entertaining. But if you can have a book where you can go on an exciting thrill ride for a thriller reader, and at the end have things you want to think about, if it can stimulate conversation, if it can stimulate some questions and answers for people, wow, that's even, you know, how often you get to do that in our job. So that was a big draw of this for us. So uh, one of the things uh, I want to talk about is, is the art of writing books. You guys have done a lot of them, 21 of them. Uh, as so many, so many veterans you know, want to share their story. They've in the last 20 years is it kind of unique because we the longest time at war. So many veterans have been to combat. They have their stories, their personal stories, their stories of hardships, their stories of you know triumph. They want to share their stories. And uh, you know, I, I've written a few books myself and it's not easy. I, I never thought I'd read a book in my life, uh, going into Marine Corps, much less write one. And uh, <laughs> you know, not written written several and what would you guys advice be to somebody that wants to write a book that wants to share their story, self-publishing versus publishing all those obstacles that, that are in the way what would advice be to someone that wants to you know, venture into that? I mean, we talk a lot about first and foremost writers, write, And that's, it's a simple phrase, but it means you, you need to get the words, get your story out on the page first. And I think this paralysis hits a lot of people where they think, well, I've never written a book. I've never told my story. I am not a professional storyteller. I don't even know where to start. That's okay. Just start. <laughs> you have to start. So start getting your story out. And, and once you have something on the page, now you have something to work with, right? So it's, it's all nebulous up here. You kind of think you know what you want to say, but it's not until you start getting the points on the page, you start remembering the story. You need to have clay to mold before you can make a, you know, a sculpture, right? So get that clay, start working it, start getting a shape. And then I think you can start to seek out, you know, beta readers. That's a very safe, easy place to start. Have a trusted friend or a colleague or a parent or a brother or spouse read your work. And they need to be somebody that you uh, trust and have a good enough relationship with that you can accept critical feedback from them. They need to be able to feel like they can tell you their honest opinion without hurting your feelings or fracturing your ego and, and making you get all mad and run walk away. So prepare yourself for that feedback. And then I think once you've at least taken those first two steps, Jeff, what would you say the next step is after that? Yeah, I mean, I agree with all that. A writer writes and you can't, you can't finish something you never start. I think um, sort of expanding a little bit on that, the paralysis of starting is a big thing. And then there's this feeling that each sentence and each paragraph and each chapter has to be perfect. Um, you know, we say we work with a lot of writers. We mentor a lot of writers these days. And one of the things we tell them is don't do that. You know, most writing occurs in rewrite, to be honest with you. And you know this, Chad, having, having done some books now. You, your rough draft isn't is not for anybody except your editor and your beta people to see. So just get the whole story out. Don't worry if you know that paragraph wasn't your best or this chapter is going to need some work. Go all the way to the end and then you can start to put that craft in to make it perfect, to make it resonate. But this idea that people that haven't written think they can't write, if you read 
you can write. I mean, there are certainly people that are more talented at, at all things than others, but if you have a real story to tell, you'll be able to get it on the page and an editor can help you get it clean and perfect to where people can enjoy it. And so the idea of not, not doing it because you feel you're not a professional writer, I wasn't a professional writer until I was. And so um, most people in our space, in the thriller space, do not have education in creative writing. The vast majority of the people that we know and are friends with have no formal training in writing. They just have life experience and stories they want to tell. So I agree with everything you said, Brian. I kind of, I kind of the opinion, like if you could think you could write, cause all I, all I do when I write is I just think out loud and I just, I don't try to structure it. I don't try to, when I'm originally starting something, I just start spewing my brain through the keyboard. Just like, just like yeah. spew it out, get it out there and, and organize it later or chop. And I mean, I just like spew my thoughts. I keep a notepad on my, on my phone. And when I have a thought throughout the day, I write that down because you think you might remember that, but you won't. If you lay in bed in the middle of the night and a thought comes up, I just put things that will jar my memory and write those things down. So I keep kind of a running log of thoughts. And then I'll go, I'll go back and when I have time to write, then I'll take that thought that I had in my notepad and I'll just let my brain just spew that. And I just mm -hmm. start collecting it that way and, um, and then structure it all later. And you, know, you may use, for me, like I may use like only 20% of that stuff. Yeah. Right. But it's, uh, you know, I mean, right now the book I'm working on, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's going to be a 50,000 word book. And I probably have about 35,000 words already that are just like that, that thought that they're spewing my thoughts out. I'll probably realistically only use half of those words. Right. But, uh, but it's, it's a place for us to pull, pull from. Um, one of the things that I want to ask you guys about, cause this is something that concerns me that anytime this, urge opportunity for somebody to do something that's going to be people that try to take advantage of them and uh and so many veterans i hear that people are like veterans are like oh i wrote my book and, and it's getting published and then I, I asked them a few questions and i just realized that they just, they just got scammed uh because they did like some they paid some company to publish their book and and uh and so you know as someone who cares about the veteran community i know you guys do too is there any kind of words of warning you have for those kind of you know pay to publish people like what's getting really published is, is hard. It's taken, it took me, you know, you know, I think seven years of, of working on books before I finally get legitimately published. And I'm sure you guys had a long battle for a long journey for that too. And there's so many scam artists out there that, that are taking advantage of veterans and other people, other, other people that are aspiring to be writers and, and having them pay to so-called you know, so publish something. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's a big red flag. If you, if some, if you have a someone who's calling themselves a publisher and saying you have to pay them to do it, that's a red flag, especially today, because you can independently publish through, you know, Amazon and, and their Kindle platform through a variety of different places. And yeah, you're going to invest some money, but you're not paying somebody for the privilege of having done that. So I think that, you know, whether you go the independent publishing route, whether you go a traditional publishing route as Brian and I have, I think that depends on what your goals and your motives are. And, you know, what are you, are you looking to share this book with as part of your speaking business or are you trying to do it, you know, for family and friends or you want to make it a career? Those are things you have to ask. And so I think independent publishing, traditional publishing are both legitimate. But if you've got some place that is saying, hey, if you give us a few thousand dollars, we'll publish your book and you'll get royalties. 
red flag. I can't think of an exception to that. That's, that's the that's the easiest way to put it. Yeah, if you have to write a check to somebody, and, and and you know you're right, you don't have to with Amazon or you could do Amazon like uh, print to order, so you could write a manuscript, get your manuscript yeah. together, get it edited, and, and upload it to Amazon, and, and you don't even they Amazon will literally print the book as yeah. someone orders it, so you don't even have to invest a bunch of money in. And that's just a good way to self-publish. And then you do that, you get successful there, move some, move some books. And then, you know, if you're very successful there, maybe do it again and build that platform and that demand. And then you can work towards, you know, trying to get a publisher. That's not, you're not going to have to pay. They're going to pay you. <laughs> so I, I just want to key on one important word that you said, Chad, which is platform. And, and this sort of relates back to what Jeff said too, which is, you know, when you're starting, I have to think about, you know, what is my, what am I, trying to accomplish? What is my objective? Do I want to become an author? Is this a career? Or am I writing this for myself because it's cathartic and I need to get my story out there? Very different objectives. And so in today's marketplace, uh, thanks to Kindle Direct Press, KDP, anybody can self-publish. The tools are all there and it's nice and slick and easy to do and it's wonderful. At the same time, you know, there's millions and millions of titles now out there. So for people to find your book, to cut through the noise, to be discovered, you really need that platform. And what is your platform? And how are you, how are people going to hear about you? So if it's going to become a business, that question about platform, which is who am I? What do I represent? You know, what's my message and how am I going to communicate that outside of just, you know, the words on the page? What do I stand for and how will people find me? Those are very, very important questions you need to ask yourself and have answers for before you start. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with that. In the process of writing, uh, you know, writing's like a kind of methodical process as you get closer towards the end. How are you guys, I'm just really curious on a personal level, because you guys did so many together. Do you guys have a, like a methodology, a system that you do it together? Our, our yes, Jeff really picks the nouns. Right. You guys, you guys are I talking with each other. I wonder how you write with each other. <laughs> <laughs> My method is I tell Brian what to do and he, no. Um, you know, it's a, it's a question we get a lot because there's only a handful of, of successful co-author teams out there uh, in, the, in the market. And what's interesting is we've been on panels with most of them at this point, you know, at various writing conferences. And every one of us, every partnership does it completely differently. And that's as it should be because their partnerships are different. And so the first step for us is, you know, we had to determine like the things Brian is saying, you know, who are we? What are we trying to do? What do we want to accomplish? We want to make sure we're on the same business, you know, page in terms of what we wanted to do. But from the creative standpoint, which I think is what you're asking about, yeah. um, our system is going to sound a little crazy uh, and it's not very structured and methodical or even very mature. It actually looks a lot like your eight-year-old in the backyard with his buddy playing army. You know, we just, it's a lot of brainstorming. We don't live in the same town. So we're a thousand miles apart. We're on the phone constantly. And it's like, dude, what about this? Oh no, I have a better idea. What if we did this, this, and this? So that's the fun part is sort of mapping the story out. But when it comes to the actual writing, um, the process is pretty simple. We divide the book into thirds. We divvy up the chapters in the first third. We write multiple point of view. So we'll split it up by point of view in each in each section. And Brian is writing chapter one, two, five, nine, eleven. I'm writing the other chapters, and we write simultaneously. 
but we communicate constantly. And so we're on the phone three or four times a day on an average work day. And then every few chapters, we swap them. I rewrite his, he rewrites mine, and they go into a master file. And when we tell other, we tell other writers that, they're like, well, that's insane. That could never work. And they're probably right, but somehow it works. For How us. do you manage like the voice and style? You guys have to have I mean, different writers' voices and different styles. <laughs> That's our secret sauce. <laughs> yeah. So this is something that happened again at the very beginning. And I give Jeff credit for this really, really important construct, which is he said, you know, if our goal is to tell a good story and to sell books, you know, we really need to take our ego out of the equation. And it's not about, okay, I wrote this sentence and you wrote that one. It needs to be about, you know, the finished product that together we write the best possible book that we can. So we said, okay, you know, very, it's very natural as a writer. Your first inclination is you want to guard your prose and think you wrote something perfect and it's great and nobody should touch it. And we said, we will never, we'll never get anywhere that way. We have to carry this sort of like that SEAL team carrying the boat on your head. We have to carry this boat together. The load is too much. So we gave each other permission uh, to edit anything. And he can change anything of mine and I can change anything of his. And that takes a lot of trust. But it also means that by the time the book is done, you know, we've had our, you know, our typewriter all over the book everywhere we need to go, our cursor, our mouse, we're deleting, we're adding whatever, and you get an Andrews and Wilson voice instead of a Jeff voice or a Brian voice in the finished product. Yeah, and it's when that rewriting is important. When each of you read it, can you pick out like, I wrote that, he wrote that. <laughs> so can you, that's can that's you, really- Oh, has the voice really totally merged. <laughs> it's really funny that you asked that because initially I think we probably could. We're at the point now where I'll be reading it and I'll be like, oh man, I'm a genius when I wrote that. I think maybe, no, I don't know who wrote that. We, we literally, my wife will come to me and say, oh, I know that chapter five. That was you. I'm like, I'm not making it up. I really, really don't know. It gets to the point where it goes back and forth so much. But I'll tell you, you'll appreciate this, Chad. The reason we're able to do that and some of these other writer partnerships find it so impossible is because we're both military. Yeah. Because the idea of mission before self, team before self is something that just gets, you know, imprinted on your DNA when you serve. It becomes a part of who you are. And so for us, that idea of putting ego aside to accomplish a mission or to, you know, make the team succeed rather than to succeed individually was very, very natural for us and not a, not a big struggle to perfect. Yeah, that was just super interesting to me because I did a, you know, Jeremy and I, Jeremy Stone, Eric and I did Path to Resiliency uh, together. We did Truth About PTSD and we did a suicide book that's not out yet that we did those three together, uh, which are small reads. They're like, you know, an hour, hour long reads. But, uh, but I intentionally like, I felt he was a stronger writer, better communicator. I took the back seat, let him take the lead. I kind of worked for him in that process. Now that I'm doing some bigger books and I've had a, you know, my, I have another one coming out in February with Thomas Nelson called uh, 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 Fight for Us, which is a marriage book. I did it with Adam Davis and he's the with author. It worked out good because I was, it's my book, I'm in charge. He's, I mean, all respect to him and he's an incredible writer, uh, but he was essentially working for me. And so I was kind of controlling that. And then my next book I'm working, I have another with author uh, that we were talking about earlier. I don't want to say who and what book yet, but the same thing, I feel like I'm in charge. So I was really interested in that and I'm, I'm glad to hear you guys uh, answer to that because it gives me a little hope. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you've had a similar experience. I mean, when you trust that other person, you can yeah. get a lot more done too, right? 
Yeah. 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 Well, awesome. Well, uh, you kind of wrap up here. Uh, you know, how can, how can people get the book? Uh, how can, what are some other books that they might be interested in? Just kind of point the listeners to, you know, how to find you guys and, and how to start reading your stuff. Yeah, I mean, the easy thing is to just go to our website, andrews-wilson.com, and it has everything, all of our books, links. You can buy our books anywhere you buy your, wherever you buy your books, they're there. Uh, you can find them. But to keep up with the multiple series, that's the easiest thing to do. We actually have a newsletter they can sign up for and get notified and get special giveaways and stuff. But this this book that just came out is going to, they're going to come out pretty quick. So the Shepherd series is, uh, we're super excited about it. Dark Intercept is out now. Dark Angel, uh, which comes out in uh, April, is going to come very closely on the heels of it. And the third book in the series, Dark Fall, will also be out before a full year is even up. So we got this first trilogy, and, and God bless Tyndale House for investing in us like that. It was a lot of work for us, but a lot of work for them to get all of these schedules coordinated and covers and edits and stuff, but they really believed in it. So that's that series. We also have, we're known for our tier one series. I'm going to just Go ahead and say this now because we're getting a lot of mail. Um, yes, the Tier 1 series is still up and alive. We have an announcement coming literally in the next week or so about the official release date for Book 7 in the Tier 1 series. It'll be out about a year from now. Super excited about that. Sons of Valor Book 2 comes out next summer. And then, Brian, you want to tell them about uh, what's going on with uh, Putnam? Yeah, so then the last thing is uh, we're very excited. We were asked to take over, sort of carry the mantle for the Webb Griffin estate on uh, the iconic presidential agent series. So the first book that we've written, but it's number nine in the series called Rogue Asset that comes out December 7th in just a few weeks. So um, we're really, really excited and looking forward to that. And then let me just do a quick shout out to uh, Ray McPadden. Uh, we March at Midnight is a fantastic book. It's also about Afghanistan, and I think it'd be uh, something interesting. If you haven't read any of Ray's work, uh, your listeners would probably probably find this one quite quite powerful. Awesome. Well, yeah. If you want to support veterans, veteran authors, these two guys are you know amazing. Like I said, I'm, I'm excited to finish the book. Uh, thank you guys for playing on, and uh, you know look forward to, to to the next ones coming out. So, and I'm going to be picking your brain some more off the show for some mentorship advice. <laughs> Anytime, man. Anytime. Yeah. We sure appreciate talking to you today. And I just want to say, you know, uh, thanks for doing what you do. Every day you're out there uh, trying to make the world a better place and not just living with the status quo. And Jeff and I talk a lot about what a difference you make. And uh, so thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Can, you know, some things right now that, you know, just have to be done and, and uh, you know, it's the right thing to do and we have to do them. So I'm thankful for the opportunity. Hey, Chad, I'll tell you, I've actually sent two different people to Mighty Oaks who did events with you that did, uh, it was, the last one was over a year ago, but the, um, they were, one was from Tampa and another guy, they have nothing but good things to say. All I know is what I see peripherally and talking to you, but man, you've got, you've got a heck of a thing going with Mighty Oaks. It's, it's filling a necessary void or a void that needs to be filled. Uh, so thank God for that and all the hard work all of your people do on that. We do have an amazing team. I'm so thankful for them. So appreciate you sending, trusting your friends with us and sending them to us. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for taking good care of them. God bless, guys. Uh, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks, Chad.